Welcome to Miss IJ's Kids Inclusive Podcast. My name is Ijoma Popola and you can call me IJ. I will be your host. On this podcast, we'll be talking about the stigma individuals with special needs face on a day-to-day basis on the continent of Africa. We'll be bringing to you professionals in the disability field, sharing resources and information that can benefit any educator, parent, caregiver, and community with persons with disabilities. Join me on this journey in spreading hope and resilience as we advocate for inclusive education on the beautiful continent of Africa. Support from this episode of Miss IJ's Kids Inclusive Podcast comes from Mama Simi's Red Sauce, a delicious 100% natural West African tomato sauce. It's pretty much your Nigerian stew in a jar. Serve with traditional West African dishes or with pasta, rice, couscous, potatoes, and more. Use as a condiment or marinade. You have to try it to find out what everyone's been talking about at mamasimi.com. Mama Simi's Red Sauce, it goes with anything. My name is IJ Popola. I'm here with the Miss IJ's Kids Inclusive Podcast, and we're going to be talking about students of color in special education. And I have a dear friend who is going to be joining us today. Her name is Miss Celine Wong. And let me tell you, she is absolutely a cherished friend of mine. Uh, we went to college together. I'll let her introduce herself. So if there are any uh, road runners out there, they know us. <laughs> but... <laughs> She is in education and has information about special education. So I'm really excited to have her on here. And she does other things too, which, you know, we'll talk about later on within the show. But (laughs) Celine, thank you for being on the show. Welcome, 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 welcome. (laughs) Thank you so much, IJ. I appreciate it. It's nice to see you. Yes. I mean, I've been seeing you probably over 20 years. So it's like, you know, instead of the internet, but it's (laughs) definitely nice to see you and speak to you. Yay. And shout out to Rampo College, the Roadrunners. Shout out yes. to them. <laughs> <laughs> Yay. So could you tell us a little bit more about just yourself and what you do? I know you you wear many hats, but I would like to you know hear from you because I, I've seen what you do. I know of what you do. But for our listeners that are in Europe and in parts mm. of Africa and also in the States, mm. I really want you to tell us, you know, just who is Celine Wong? Who is she? What does she do? And why is she just so dynamic? <laughs> oh, well, that's a... You know, very wonderful introduction. But yes, my name is Celine Lewis Wong. I am from the state of New Jersey. (laughs) So yeah, I'm a true Jersey girl. I'm a mom of three. Wearing many hats is something that, you know, I got from my own mother. She always wore many hats. She was multiple things. And I think she was showing me a good work ethic without even, you know, teaching me. She was just showing me and I was just following in her footsteps. And so one of the many hats that I do have is that, um, one, I am an educator. I've been yeah. an, in education for, I want to say, 19 years. Being This is right out of college, teacher. right? Or no? Was this I right was out of right, college? Not really right out of college. I wasn't in education. I would work with families and children mm-hmm. at the YMCA. And then two years after college, I started working in pre-K classrooms in East nice. Orange, New Jersey. Oh, And then from there, I was all over. I would say I was in all the urban cities that I love. East Orange, I was in the Bronx, I was in Newark, I was in Harlem, mm-hmm. got out to Harlem with my heritage is, you know, and then ended up in my hometown in Jersey. Yes. And so I've been around in education and yeah. wore many hats within um, that field in special yeah. education. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
Oh so, my gosh. So why education though? Like what, what made you get into education? I mean, I know like there's probably yeah. some influence from YMCA, but. Well, that and also my mother was an educator. My mother was a math teacher out of the nice. Bronx for almost 30 years. And so I don't think she knew she was teaching me again right. about the work ethic of being a teacher, but I definitely mm-hmm. followed in her footsteps as being in education which brought me to special education was that I knew that children learn differently. And I learned that very early on, that there's not just one cookie cutter book that everybody has to learn out of. And there's multiple ways to learn one thing. There's multiple ways to cut an apple. There's multiple ways to, 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 you know, cook a dish. Yeah. And that was what it was, you know, brought me kind of into special education. And also I have a cousin of mine that was, Back in those days, in the early 80s, mm-hmm. they classified him as uh, mental retardation. Yes. Um, they call it now with autism spectrum. But back yes. then, it was actually, um, that's what it was, classified. Mm-hmm. So I grew up with a cousin that was severely autistic and nonverbal. Mm-hmm. And so that kind of, you know, brought him, you know, heightened my interest in the minds of, of children who yeah. um, who are quote unquote disabled. Yeah. See, that is so interesting because I, I like what you said about how there are different ways of learning, different styles of learning. And, you know, somebody might say, or some of our viewers may say, well, why do you have to, you know, have a topic talking about students of color in special education? And for me, I saw that as something very different. Like I'm new to special education and, and you've been doing it for a while. But for me, the, the insight was, uh, you know, we had students in my class who were, uh, their parents just came from Nigeria and their child was in the classroom, in a special education classroom. And it was such a difference in how the student was responding to me versus maybe responding to other students. And it just kind of made me start thinking about things very differently because in Nigeria anyway, like if you have a disability, like there's such a stigma, you know, surrounding it. Um, So my my other question for you is, do you feel like there is a disappointment proportionate representation of students of color in special education? Historically, yes, there was. Okay. okay. So historically, a lot of our uh, African-American boys were pushed into special, age, uh, special education because of just based on behavior, not cognitive ability, not on academics. Behavior actually caused the academics to like, you know, fall. But a lot of them were kind of pushed into special education, making a rise in um, African-American boys being in those classes, which they really did not need to. And a lot of them who are grown up now would tell you, I was in this class and I knew I shouldn't have been in this class. So then the behaviors kind of like went elsewhere. Yeah. They weren't supposed to be in there. And so in my current position right now, I am in there to support the decrease of special education going into classrooms. And so we're not just basing it on behavior. We're yeah. trying to intervene and use intervention strategies to promote healthy uh, education and also, again, decreasing the amount of children going into special education if they do not need it. A lot of, you know, especially here in this, in America, and I want to just really centralize that and put that yeah. into mm-hmm. um, New Jersey or, you know, New York, New Jersey, this area over here. A lot of parents do not want their children going into special education because of that stigma. And especially with the older population, it will say, I do not want my child to be labeled because at one time these children were being labeled and it affected their ability to graduate 
and to be successful in school. Right. And also became a, you know, I would say get into the children's mind that I yeah. can't do it because I have this. And really, they were misdiagnosed and they should yeah. not have been there. So definitely was a problem here. But I do see the change in that. Right, right. And the reason why I do see the change in that, because in my current position, I'm there to support that change. Right. And so I see the other sides of it. I see children who actually do need special education resources. I'm right. um, in classes and I see children who do not. Mm-hmm. And because of the experience that I have, I'm able to distinguish which is which and also be able to educate the teacher and administration on, on what this child needs. So I had that single position in my district. The only person in the district that was able to do that in the early childhood setting. Yeah. So you said diagnosis and I, I wanted to uh, ask you a question. Do you also think that a lot of black and brown, you know, students of color are either misdiagnosed or diagnosed late of, you know, having a disability just, you know, within our culture. Like, is that something that is, you know, it's high or, you know, do they even get diagnosed? Is this something that's even accepted, you know, within the black community now? Um, so I always go back to, and I hope your listeners are familiar with the Cosby show, you know, yeah. Theo Huxable. I always okay. go back to Theo. Let's just pause. We watched the Cosby show back in Nigeria. No, it's good. I like that you say that, but yeah, mm-hmm. like okay. our generation, we did, we did. Now when we came okay. to the States, we didn't really understand the social, you know, understanding. <laughs> so we have to, I needed you and other friends to kind of figure it out. So I just wanted to no, say it. <laughs> Oh, let me Say tell that. you something. Everybody <laughs> go back and we look for the episode when Theo Huxable found out that he had a learning disability. And oh. he was, I believe he was in college, just like I was when I was at Rainbow College, found out that I was dyslexic, mm-hmm. that we kind of just bruised through school. Um, and he talked about how his both his parents always said, you never did well in school and, you know, and kind of gave him the blame. And in fact, that he had an actual learning disability. Mm-hmm. And so that's years later that he went through the system and then struggled and it was not diagnosed, whether because the parents were, you know, in denial or that teachers did not pick it up, but they knew it was a struggle. So that's also what my position is. When I did work in middle school, there were children who were classified or diagnosed with a disability very late on and always had a track record of not doing very well in school. And it actually turned out that the child did have a, a learning disability. Who knows why it was not diagnosed in the prior years? Well, you know, who knows what happened? But in, you can just imagine how a child would struggle doing the early part of receiving education. Here we are in the seventh and eighth grade year, you know, over here is, uh, I guess, uh, 12, 13 years old. And all of a sudden, you have a learning disability. So imagine how that child felt. However, they were missing uh, parts of learning that was supposed to done, be done years prior. Reading, uh, phonics, sentence structure, um, writing ability, all those things that are taught in these primary years that they should have by a certain age, they do not. And so now they, what do we do with these children here? I have a quick answer to that. You educate them where they're at. You yes. show them this they're 12 years old, they're going to read books for 12 years old, but you're going to modify, you're going to make sure you are, um, you know, providing instruction to their ability. It can still happen. We can't give up on those children. And also, let me add, you have to find a way to make sure they don't give up on themselves, which is probably harder than, it's harder to convince them they can do well than teaching them the skill. Yeah. That 
teaching will is diff- is difficult. It is. And it's, it involves your mind and your own willpower. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a lot of encouraging. That's why there's so many things that we have to do once these children are in a place where they feel like they want to give up. That's why we have mentoring programs. That's why we have supporters. That's why we have guidance counselors. That's why we have mental health officers that are there to provide those type of instructions for them. Mm-hmm. Um, I love when you say mentoring programs because you're the founder of the Free Reads Project and the Free Reads Mentoring, Educational Mentoring. Uh, it's a 501c3 program that supports, mm-hmm. you know, reading write, readiness, motivation, mentorship in the community. Like, is this probably, you know, why you started, you know, this, uh, you know, amazing organization for just students, starting them young, you know? Yes. Well, you know, I have multiple wives. Yeah. <laughs> That's okay. You know, there's multiple reasons why I do everything I do, but this in particular is such a though. passion thing for me because I love reading, right? Yeah. I'm an avid reader. I love, like, I really do enjoy reading. My sons do not. <laughs> My sons do not like love reading and it breaks my heart because I'm constantly surrounded by books. I'm constantly going into bookstores and libraries and selecting things. And my sons are not interested at all. And so my thing is like, oh, I wish I started them out early. And mind you, I'm an educator, right? And here I am slipping up with my own kids. And that's a problem. <laughs> you know, like, how are you slipping up on your own kids? It be like that sometimes. <laughs> right, right. And like, it's like, oh gosh, my bad. So my thing is when I founded this and I thought this idea, this concept of what if we get our children to love reading early? So just like there's multiple issues with our children African-American boys not being successful in education, right? Not graduating from high school, not completing it. There are multiple solutions. So it's not just, again, here's a book, go read. No, because that's the case. Guess what? We won't have all these issues, right? No, we're guiding these children, providing with mentors that look like them, right? These mentors they're not educators. They're, they're regular, regular guys. Mm-hmm. I have a retired yes. engineer. I have um, a, a director of education. I have, you know, another retired supervisor. I have an attorney. Guess what we all have and what we all I require as being part of this mission I have is that we all love to read. That's the only requirement. If we show these boys at an early age the love of reading, guess what? If they love to do it, they're going to want to do more. They're going to want to find out about these books. They're going to look past the cover mm-hmm. and say, you know what? That title is dope. I'm going to try to read that book, right? I'm going to get into it. I'm going to learn how to converse and discuss mm-hmm. literature. And that's what they have to do in school. Because when they learn to converse and discuss it, they're also, but the um, comprehension skills mm-hmm. that are needed in school and also to be reading anything are, are created, right? Just based just talking about literature. So that's what we provide. We have wonderful boys and girls now in the Free Reads Project under the umbrella of Free Reads Educational Mentoring Program that I love reading. And we, we also provide African-American or I'm going to say men and women of color who are being the authors of these books. So you have a book to a Black child being guided by a Black mentor, by a book that looks like them. That's huge. Definitely that is matters, huge. Right? Mm-hmm. Definitely matters. 
That's huge. Wow. I could honestly, you know, talk to you and digress because I'm actually enjoying the interview. So I have to kind of stick to my questions like, okay, IJ, focus. But I wanted to say something that I it's not part of my interview questions and, and I just feel it's the right time to interject. So when we talk about the African diaspora, right? Mm. And I'll use myself as an example. You know, mm. African came from Nigeria. This is back in the 1990s. Okay, it's not like now. Things are different. Right. You know, right. came you know to the states or whatever. And in the context of special education, and you're talking about you know black boys yeah. becoming black men, yeah. not being diagnosed and things like that. A lot of times, mm. when we coming from Nigeria, of course, disability is not even discussed for the most Mm. part, in the educational setting. And so we just come, we migrate to the state, we plunk ourselves into the American educational system that we Mm. know nothing about. Mm -hmm. Oh my goodness, we know nothing. So Mm. we got to figure out PTA. We got to figure out how to understand the accent. There's so many things going on like for the immigrant, right? But I think what helps me is that I've been able to be that translator in between, you know, like being in the States for a while and, you know, really helping those African students in the special education class, because I would see that again, they would just be under, you know, disability category of emotional disturbance. And I'm like, Mm. is it really emotional disturbance or you just maybe don't understand Mm. culture? You know, and, and I just noticed that a lot of the kids were kind of like tagged under that category. And don't get me wrong, like I feel like with um special education, like it really helps if that if that's what's needed. Right. But you know, like you said, when we have people in these places to to help, you know, make sure that students don't get into special education if they don't need it. And then if they do need it, like it's it's properly assessed. You know what I mean? Again, representation yeah. matters. So I kind of find myself in that like being the middle person, being able to translate whether it's with cultures or you know what's happening or even with the parents because we would find ourselves in IEP meetings and some of these African parents have no clue what they're talking about and I'm like wow we have work to do um so you know I'm really glad that you are in that space to be able to uh just help and to see and to know because again when when kids who are you know students of color don't feel motivated to go to college because Every single time they get a grade, it's a failing grade. It's a failing grade. Mm -hmm. And they're like, why am I even here? You know? Mm -hmm. So I don't know. And you can chime in, you know, with what I just said. It's just something Mm -hmm. I just observed what you were saying and and understood Mm -hmm. it to be a problem that is getting better, but it's really getting the right people in the right spaces to help the students. And you just said it right there. Because you are, you know, you came from Nigeria to the United States, you're able to put yourself in those places. So it's good that anyone sees you there. And that comes from any person that migrates to um, the United States from any country. We have a huge uh, Arabic population in my town. And it's so helpful that we have people who speak Arabic in my school, help translate and also do what you do, sit in on these meetings to help out with, you know, culturally represent uh, the people that are coming in. A lot of, uh, we have a lot of North African families who come, Morocco, Egypt, who come in speaking Arabic and not, not understanding the language right there will have you just shut down. Mm-hmm. And so also we have people who have that experience, who speak the language and understand that this issue is not a special education issue. This child just needs support on language, right? That has to be clear. So Mm. same thing with with children coming from Nigeria. Mm -hmm. They need support because culturally, it's like probably a shock, right? Mm -hmm. And number two, 
the language as well. Although, from my understanding, English is the yeah, it's English in Nigeria, girl. But, but even with the other. English, we don't even understand. It's like you're saying <laughs> R, and we're like. Even with my kids, they're like, mm, that's not how you say that, mom. I'm like, oh, uh, yeah, it's 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 broken. But see, no. that's something that's good for, but that's something good for us to learn about. Yeah. Um, side note, side note, I had yeah. to live in Nigeria one day. Just side note. I just oh. I need to go to Nigeria. I just read, I I read a book. It's oh, a like you want to go to Nigeria? Yes. Oh, 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 oh we can make that happen. I would <laughs> love to go to Nigeria. And I just want to experience. I'm saying I'm an African American, yeah. born here and the born in the Bronx, but been reaching for the African culture yeah. um, and African heritage that is in my blood. It but is. because of colonization, you know, we don't know where we're exactly. I have to take an African ancestry uh, test. Yep. Uh, test. Anyway, that was so side noise. That's okay. <laughs> <laughs> I do a lot of that, so it's right. Yeah. <laughs> No, but you're right, though. I like what you're saying about representation and just it may, may not necessarily be a special education issue, maybe just a language support thing. Yeah, language support. And also what we need is uh, diversity support, too. Yeah. We need to, you know, to help with like, you know, not to I, back in the day is probably to like, you know, find yourself in American culture. I think it's not that. I think that remember this country is a country of immigrants, right? This whole country, everyone came from somewhere. Yes. Um, even you know African American enslaved people mm-hmm. that came across as well. So I think it's more like making yourself be known in this country, and not really saying taking away from your heritage. It yeah. says bring your heritage here. You know, there are there's even some words that they say when using the word immigrant. The people have kind of used that word in, in negative cognition, which is not good. Um, some people have done that, which you should not do, because the people that come in this country make this country. And so that's something that's good that we also need to acknowledge. Even in education, a lot of people who are in administration, they were not born in this country. They were raised here, like not, like you, IJ. You weren't born in the United States. But have, however, I know you're not here now. Oh, I don't know where you are. <laughs> but, in the United States, um, you worked here, you settled here, you mm-hmm. taught here. So it's good that, like I said, this representation really does matter. It yeah. does matter. Speaking of representation, I want to go back a little bit to the genesis of special education. So mm-hmm. we can't talk about special education without talking about the civil rights movement. That's another thing. Oh, it, going to school, I was like, really? You yeah. know, and I, you know, would always ask questions about that, but there'll be no IDEA without it. So as an educator, mm-hmm. do you think this is a very important aspect of SPED that most special educators know, but I don't mm-hmm. think it's really, it's not, it's not a widespread knowledge. Um, right. Yeah. Right. So what this, yeah, what the civil rights movement really did is open the doors for every other movement out there. Yeah. Okay. It goes beyond Dr. Martin Luther King. It started way beyond um, then. He's just well known, but it started way beyond then. I think even beyond even what the what we are taught in school, we have to go deeper. How our freedoms were always demanded by us. Um, however, we were shut down by either you know some of us were murdered and in, in trying to reach those civil rights. And we have to really understand and, and and unpack that word civil. We just asked for rights that, hey, we want to get this drink from this water fountain and not get hit in the club. You know what I'm saying? We just, we just want to walk down the street and not be able to get spat on. So we were asking for rights that should have already been given to us. 
we're just asking everybody to be civil, to act right, basically. That's what mm-hmm. we wanted them to do. And that, that whole movement is now, as I said, it's like everybody get right movement. Y'all got to get right. Right? That's what that, movement, <laughs> that movement really is. And that also with, you know, people coming from, immigrants coming from yeah. Japan, China, um, Asian countries, mm-hmm. all those people, we, we the African-American, civil, the, the civil rights movement opened the doors for all that. The LGBTQ um, uh, community, yes. mm-hmm. that as well. Civil rights. Even people with, uh, uh, like, of course, the Disabilities Act, of course, yeah. people who are hearing impaired, people who are the, um, the hearing impaired community, the, the, the I want I don't want to say this, but the sight impaired, the blind, yeah, I, you know, yeah, all yeah, yeah. that. <laughs> there are appropriate words here, but I'm like, yes. but you know, you get what I mean, right? It mm-hmm. opened the door for everyone who were the quote unquote disfranchised. Yes. Right. And that's what it did. And so, and now we're still using that same model of, a, of civil rights now, because as you see, it unpacked a whole bunch of stuff. We, yes. American culture, colonized culture, I want to mm-hmm. say, I want to be clear with that, kind of like put everything in a box. Mm-hmm. And then now we're, we're all coming out of the box. Like, no, 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 no. We're here. We need this. We should get these rights because they got those rights. We, we all need these rights. Yeah. So the civil rights movement did. Good. Yeah. No, it's 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 amazing. I mean, when we talk about I think it's the Brown versus Board of Education that helped with segregation, it was it was really all under that that, you know, like you said, instead of referring to people, you know, who may have mental health challenges, instead mm-hmm. of saying, you know, they're retards or whatever, you like you said, you mm-hmm. use different words and they're able to learn alongside, you know, students who don't have disabilities. So I, I just think it's really it's such an important part of, you know, the movement, if you want to call it that, shouldn't be just highlighted in February, but like all year round that people, you know, have those basic rights to be treated like a human being. And I think for me, again, coming from Nigeria, I really didn't know all these things, Mm. but, you know, with... I'm going to school and I'm doing my dissertation and stuff like that. And I think you're kind of like doing the same thing too. I'm not sure, but it's, <laughs> it's, things. yeah, it's important because, you know, when I, when we talk about like the UNESCO and the UN, we talk about disability on international level, mm. a lot of that, it's still because of the civil rights movement, you know, mm-hmm. and that's the, and that's part of what my dissertation is trying to do is like make that connection. Like, Hey, what these guys did, you know, back in the sixties is huge. I mean, I think mm-hmm. it's so huge. You know, when you look at it from a global standpoint that mm-hmm. it just needs to always be like, be at the, the forefront and just amplified in my, in my opinion. But so my, my other question is, you know, with, Again, disability and bringing, I want to bring it back to, you know, parts of Africa. The reason why I want this podcast to be a little bit more diverse than just what's going on on the continent is that, hey, someone who has, you know, has visual impairment or hear, is hearing impaired or has, you know, Down syndrome is the same challenges we're facing in like Nigeria or like parts of Africa, right? Yeah. And when you think of developed nations versus those that are developing, even though I think that Nigeria can be a developed nation, it's just bad implementation of resources, but that's a whole different podcast on its own. I'm bringing it back, you know, to, to Nigeria in the sense of a disability is a disability. And I know that for us, a lot of families and, and even educators who may not have the education or the resources to support. There's a huge stigma attached to having a disability. Oh, absolutely. 
here at least it's it's a little better. You can get a job. You know, you have it's a law. Even though it's a yeah. law in Nigeria, it's just not enforced really the way it should be. Mm-hmm. Um, but bringing it back to like brown and brown and black communities in let's say developed you know countries like America, mm-hmm. do you still think that there is a stigma attached to having a disability or even having maybe mental health issues in the communities? Well, over here? well, they're trying to destigmatize all that. They're mm-hmm. trying to do that. I think it is. Where we are now is a lot better. A lot better. Um, like you said, things are now, it's, you know, there's legality reasons now why you can't fire someone because of a disability or cannot hire someone because of a disability. Um, if you fill out any application, it says, do you have, you know, it says on the application about disability, but, you know, also it says that it's an equal opportunity employer. Yes. Equal opportunity employer. So under that equal opportunity employer, you can go in there with a disability. You can go in there with sexual orientation preference. You can go in there with race. It doesn't matter what race you are. You can go in under, under that. So we do have that to protect us. Does it always protect us? There are ways that people try to sneak things, but we have that law in place here. I don't know how it is. And you said there was laws in place in Nigeria too. There are, it's just not implemented. It's not implemented. Well, that's, mm-hmm. that's people... It's see, this is all new here, right? This is we're talking about, we're say 1970, yeah, right, or 1974, or this is that's fairly new. We're talking about 50 years now of putting these things in place. Prior to that, there's a whole generation of people who are yeah. not able to do those things, right, because of the disabilities. There are people. In the South, I'm not saying in the South, but another generation who never learned ASL, who never learned the American Sign Language, who were deaf people. And so it's like, oh my gosh, you know, they're still alive. They're still here. They're older population. But like I said, this is all new. 50 years of implementing this into law, putting this into law, putting into legislation, using all the politicians to make sure this stuff is implemented. People who are physically handicapped, right? That law is just only 50 years ago. That's it. That there's ramps to go into stores. There's ramps that go into the malls and you have a parking space. All that is just in the last 50 years. So, you know, right. It's not, so it just, when you say it's not implemented and I don't know when those laws were implemented in Nigeria, it takes a long time. I mean, look at, looking at the civil rights with the quote unquote Jim Crow. Let me tell you, people were still doing those things way after those, that um, Linda B. Johnson signed that. Yeah, you know that's, that's true. One of the though. President. So that's people, true. We, we had to re- like even with with uh, with slavery in this country too. It took what two years for people to know that tell people in Texas like, hey, oh, we're, we're free, free, we're free. <laughs> it's you know that's what whole Juneteenth was about. Yeah. So it takes a long time for any of these things yeah. to, to work. That's, and that's, that's one thing, perspective. you know what I'm saying? So in here, like we, we're, um, we're not 50 years old. So we kind of grew up in these new freedoms. The freedoms yeah. that we have here now are just brand new. We need to realize yeah. that too. Yeah. My parents didn't have these freedoms. Yeah, that's true daddy. though. We did not have these, daddy didn't have these freedoms, my daddy. Mm-hmm. He was born and raised in Montgomery, Alabama. So yeah. when he was my age, these things were just being thought about, like, oh, maybe you know what? Maybe we should allow people of color to do stuff. Yeah. When he was around my age, right? 
So we got to think um, about that too. These are all brand new things. That's that puts a lot of in in perspective with how. Yeah, we try to like look at, you know, yeah, we talk about what's not so good, but we also talk about how, you know, the things that are working and that there is special education, you know, most public schools in Nigeria don't have a special education teacher. And I kind of like dragged you into this group on Facebook and I'm like, I'm going to go around and I'm going to find all the black special education teachers and we're going to go back. (laughs) That's that really, that's the ticket, you know, in going back to Nigeria. Like my plan is we have a problem. Let's find a solution. You don't, you know, you don't have special education, special education classes because you don't have special education teachers. Okay, well, let's train some, you know, some people coming out of school in special education and let's do it one school at a time. You know, like right. that's a simple problem. We're going to find a simple solution um, because right. it absolutely makes no sense that some of these kids can't even enroll into school because we don't have the training. Mm. And again, there's so many groups. I mean, I, I'm always, my heart is always so moved with how many nonprofits are out there that are just doing what they can. And only because they're like angel donors and just people that are given from the bottom of their hearts just to help. But all that shouldn't be coming from people. That stuff needs to be coming from the government. But another podcast for another day. Anyway, right, so. Right. Well, like you said, yeah. one one school at a time. Yeah. One street at a time, one, one. child at a time, one home at a time, one yeah. child at a time. And that's so it. It, 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 it takes one person to, to start a movement and, and yeah. get some um, friends and pals and comrades yeah. to move with you. Well, please come with me <laughs> because it looks like, because uh, again, I mean, and this is all sidebar, like, I went to school for acting at Ramapo. So education is really new. And the only reason why I got into education, you're going to laugh at this. I did a commercial back in Oklahoma and the commercial was, uh, they got a grant from the government, like a $10 million grant to help Mm. people get back into school. And they're like, Hey, you're a principal, you know, like actor will sponsor your school. I'm like, okay. And, And that's how, I, you know, I just did that with um, with subbing and I got into special education because they needed somebody in there. And I mm. never I, mean, I feel ashamed at times to talk about it. I never knew about a special education classroom since 20 mm. something years being in the States. I was amazed. Mm. And then mm. it turned out that some of the students that were in my class, they used to, you know, the, their families used to come to our African restaurant back in the in Oklahoma. Mm. Yes, 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 yes. I was like. Okay. All right. Okay. Pack up the restaurant. We're going into education. Like I, it just, I was so moved by it. And the kids, I'm telling you, they were amazing. Like I always think about like my first bed class and I'm just like, they taught Mm -hmm. me so much about love and acceptance and, and that we are human and people too, just because we Mm -hmm. don't do things like you do doesn't mean that we can't do it with assistance and modification and accommodations and all that. So I don't know. I just kind of see it as my life calling. That is, I mean, way- and, and when you find that passion, you mm-hmm. just go deep in it, but you could, you, you are like me in a sense that we have multiple passions, right? Multiple passions, like, like, you know, wearing a lot of hats Yeah, and that's what we do. And that's fine with that, you know, and one of these, you know, the podcast that you have, you're trying to find a solution or trying to find resources to provide you with the support, you know, Nigerian children in special education. That's a yeah. big deal when you see the neglect or the not not, not being there yeah. and of all these years, 
you know? And so that's a great mission to have. And I applaud you and commend you on that. Well, I, I'm just really grateful that, you know, I have, you know, people like you who, and again, you have a radio show. I forgot to put that out there and it'll be like in a little, you know, bio blog, but I, you know, I've, I've admired you from afar secretly and it's such a pleasure (laughs) to have you here, but I'm going to end with our two questions. And I think that'll be it. So my uh, second to last question is self-advocacy, right? What, why is teaching self-advocacy to students of color, um, extremely important, you know, especially today, you know, mm-hmm. students of color who have a disability, teaching them to be self-advocates for themselves. Right. Well, you, for some children, you have to speak back to them mm-hmm. and, and just also tell them, acknowledge that you are an important person and you should get everything that you deserve. You have to speak that into children. You know where that starts? That starts at home. You got to speak that into your children. And, you know, my son is dyslexic, just like I'm dyslexic as well. And for him, it was very difficult to kind of find his grooves. None of the teachers were finding his grooves, okay? No, nobody was helping him find his groove. His mama found it in him and said, listen, when we go into these IEP meetings, these meetings that, you know, I can sit in front of all these folk, you sitting there right there too. I want you to listen in and see what these teachers are talking are saying about you. And I want you to speak up for yourself. Is, is this helpful? Using the voice typing on Google Docs, is that helpful? Because if not, we got to find something else because you're yes. still going to do this paper, right? You're still going to do this, this research paper. You know, I pray to God that he goes into college. I'm going to encourage him. You know, he has two more years. Yeah. And so it's like, I'm going to encourage him as much as possible so he can go into college and say, Hey, I'm dyslexic. I need um, a voice to uh, speech to text. Nice. He needs to do that. If not, no one is going to do it for you. So you have to self-advocate for yourself. You got to teach that because if not, children will sit there and people just pass them by. No one's coming to rescue you. And that's like life, right? So you have to be able to, going back to that will, right? Say to yourself, I have this issue. I need this. You can be a lawyer, doctor, engineer, you can be anything you want. You have to you have to speak up for yourself, right? Yeah. And so teaching that as you're young and also being a parent, basically implementing that in their brains every yeah. single day. Like yeah. it's like <laughs> I use, use the Lion King as a metaphor. Oh my God. Rafiki goes, You don't even know who you are. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Teach them who you are. Teach them who they are. Oh, my goodness gracious. I love that because it's important. Right. And Mm -hmm. and even for I would say, like, I'll speak from my culture, like, you know, parents who are coming from Nigeria or whatever, or any other country that is, is different from where you're going to if it's a developed country like they have to learn how to be because I saw a lot of parents just walk out of IEP meetings crying. Because mm-hmm. they just, they didn't, they didn't understand, you know? And yeah. I was so grateful that we had educators that did, that were empathetic towards that, you know? Yeah. And so it's like, the parents need support as well, you know, as they're supporting Absolutely. their kids. Because um, some of those IP meetings can be tough, Yes, absolutely. It could be tough and it would be stressful. And um, yeah. and I was one of those parents. Me being an educator was still one of those parents. Mm-hmm. Because you read all these things, you're like, oh my gosh, my son 
can't understand what like you still feel that way and you there's also a amount of guilt that you have yeah. like oh my gosh I should have done this I should have done this I done exactly this. you always oh. have that so it's good to have people who are empathetic with you at these meetings it's good to even go in with an advocate too mm-hmm. um you know someone who knows special education law and special education practice to go in with you and sit in all these meetings to make sure that you fully understand what you are signing off to because here in the United States everyone you can't, your child just can't go into special education. You have to sign off on that. There are parental rights with this, you know? So that's why it's important you have an advocate, if you don't know much about it, to lead you to the right practice. But there are children who actually need special education. So we want to get them there. Yeah. They don't think like, oh, this is not going to be good for my kid. You never know. Yeah. So, you know, it, it's practicing in the United States that, you know, you are, you, there are parental rights. Yeah. Wow. I have totally enjoyed this interview, Celine. I am so, (laughs) I am so, so glad that we were able to connect, even though with other circumstances, it's still absolutely beautiful to me. And I'm just so, so proud with everything that you're doing. And I know that, you know, with this Black Educators, you know, initiative that I'm doing that's global, um, I'm I'm really hoping that it'll be something. In fact, my plan is to, you know, sponsor, like maybe, I don't know how many SPED teachers that, again, representation, because Mm -hmm. a lot of the, students in these rural areas may not have seen white people but you know they see black people's like that can help mm-hmm. like where i'm you know trying to you know tap in on that is very important but, it, but um, i know where, where american or not from um yes. i know for me when i was in senegal they knew i wasn't american they knew i wasn't senegalese yes you know? yes they do you know but it is yes. it is Hi guys! <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, definitely. They can smell an American from a mile away. Yes, yes, <laughs> they, yes, they can do that. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I just you know, and I was also seeing it as a great way to really connect the diaspora. You know, because mm-hmm. um, we don't again, there are not a lot of black special educators. It's a whole different podcast. Right, <laughs> but, right, right, right. I'm very grateful for you, Celine. I really Well, I'm it. grateful for this conversation. Thank you for inviting me. I enjoyed I this conversation. Thank I really you. Did. I love it. Thank you so much. (laughs) Thanks for listening to Miss IJ's Kids Inclusive Podcast this week. If you haven't subscribed yet, please do so on our website at www.ijpopola.com. Or if you want to write to us about topics you would love to hear covered on the show, the email address is popoloijelma at gmail.com, one word. And if you'd like to follow us on our social media pages, it's at Miss IJ's Kids. I am IJ Popola. And you've listened to Miss IJ's Kids' inclusive podcast.